Now it's my uh, honor and my pleasure to introduce to you Pastor Cooper. Uh, he's coming forward with a great message, a second half of a message on prayer. If you didn't make it for the first service this morning, I would su- suggest go on our Facebook, go on our, our YouTube channel, um, anywhere you want to find it, and watch the first one. Uh, I had I was getting stopped one after another out, out front saying what a blessing the first service was. So uh, I would suggest you check it out this week. But again, we love you and appreciate you. Thank you, Pastor Cooper, for being here. I'm glad to be here this morning with you. I was talking to Pastor Gary before his surgery. He was telling me a little bit about the procedure, what he can and can't do after the operation. And he was saying, you know, I'm going to lose some weight. I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, for several weeks, I'm only going to be able to take fluids into my system. And then after that, I'm only going to be able to take soft foods into my system. And then after that, I think he'll be getting back to normal. But uh, he says, I'm going to be a lot skinnier. He and I share the same dilemma. I need to lose weight. I'm not sure I need to lose weight. I just need to be taller. (laughs) I do things through the week. I ride bikes. I... um, I play pickleball, the complex, sports complex over at Tregali. Also, uh, I guess that does a couple things. My golfing, you wonder how you would exercise. Why am I sore the next day if it isn't good exercise? And besides that, 80-year-old people beat me. (laughs) I mean, it's, uh, it's a humbling experience every time I go. In pickleball, I almost feel sorry for the person that gets me for a partner because they're going to lose. (laughs) But it's great fun, great to be around people, great to share with other people. You can't get to know people if you're not around them, if you don't talk with them. You don't get it in a, hi, how are you? And they say, oh, I'm okay, how are you? And then you go on your way. It's when you sit down with people, it's when you ride in a golf cart for four hours, you can get to know someone pretty well. Share your testimony. It'll be a long time before I can forget this one guy because he was having such a bad day. You could tell because of his language. And I don't, I get a lot of bad shots, but thank the Lord I I don't take his name in vain. Though I might like to sometimes, I don't. I'm careful about what I say. And usually during the course of playing golf, the person will say to me, and what do you do for a living? (laughs) And I'll say, well, I'm a minister. (gasps) What? (laughs) And what a good time it is to be able to share with people. Usually there will not be another curse word out of their mouth the rest of the day. The Lord is good. His word is good. We're going to take a look in his word this morning. God is so good to us to give us instructions as to how we are to pray. We're to talk with God, communicate with the Lord. And we want to look at the message. It was broken into two parts. The first part of the message dealt with the uh, will of God. And the holiness of God. Today we're going to talk about 
the uh, provision of God in this service, what we're going to ask Him for, and how He's going to meet our need. We're talking about prayer as being communication with God and how to pray effectively. You know you need to communicate. Communicating with God is not just you talking. It's waiting patiently to talk with God, God talking to you, Him, especially through His Word. Open up your Bible and let Him speak to you. Read His Word. The more you read the Bible, the more you're going to love its author. And so every day, spend time with the Lord, seeking God, and praying and communicating with Him. If you didn't communicate with your wife for a day, what would she think, men? And if she doesn't talk with you, you know something's wrong. I'll go to my wife and say, what's wrong, honey? And she'll say, it's you. <laughs> what I do? <laughs> she'll help me to understand uh, clearly what I need to do. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus spoke of these things as he began to speak. After this manner, therefore, pray. And so he gives instructions. The disciples had just asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. They could have asked for a lot of different things. How is it that you feed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fishes? How is it that you touch people and they're healed? How could you preach and draw 5,000 people just to hear what you're saying? But they asked him what was the most important thing, and that is to learn, Lord, Teach us to pray. If you know how to pray before the Lord, you'll get all the other things. When you're in communication with God, that's when the goodness of the Lord begins to flow into your life. Now, just because maybe some of you didn't go to a school in the late 50s and early 60s like I did, maybe you didn't have the Lord's Prayer but we did every day. It's how the day would begin. Scripture reading, saluting the flags, and the prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And in fact, uh, my wife, who's here this morning, she's right over there, and uh, she was a part of the student council in our school. She was older than me by a little bit. And... Uh, she was leading in this. I didn't know at the time that I was going to marry her, but I would have been delighted to know that. On the other hand, she would have not been so delighted to know that she was going to marry this scrawny little 135-pound toe-headed boy. Her boyfriend was Clarence Crawford. <laughs> he was the captain of the football team. He was the prom king. He looked like he should be on a box of Wheaties. She would have been horrified. God's gracious not to give us too much information. He just takes us along day by day. If he had told me I was going to be preaching his word in front of a large audience, I'd have said, not me, Lord. Let me get out of here. But graciously he shares. And so we can be glad for that. Actually, Clarence Crawford went to live in Alaska. She hates cold weather. <laughs> it never would have worked. 
So we learned the Lord's Prayer. We said it often. And it gets into your, gets into your heart. We're going to say it together right now. If you'll just follow the Lord's Prayer with me. Maybe you haven't prayed it for a while. It's a good thing. So let's pray. Father, which art in heaven, pray with me. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, I'm not saying that you should quote this every day, although it wouldn't hurt, but at least the components of this model should be in your prayers as you talk with the Lord each day. He's given us a pattern to teach us how to pray. In the first service, we talked about the Lord's Prayer having two parts, and here they are. The holiness and the will of God. God is a holy God. There's no departing from that in your thinking. He doesn't sin. He's not evil. He always has your best interest at heart. There's a provision of God. That's what He will do when you pray and you ask Him for whatever might be His will. You want to align your will with the will of God. Before we get into the provision of God, which is the second half of the message... We want to understand that God is our Father. Now, Jesus only ever mentioned two fathers. One is your father, the devil. That's who my father was before I became a child of God. I was a professional liar. I was a professional thief. Took these little things off of it. I remember I was just probably five or six years old at Reuben's department store. Little things that were hanging down at the bottom of a coat. The reason I was fascinated with them is because they looked like they would be about the same size as what you would put in a bubblegum machine. And I had picked off several of these and put them in my pocket. And when I got home, I forgot to take them out. But my mother found them during the wash. And she said to my dad, where did your boy get these? He took me back to Reuben's department store, right to the manager. He looked at me, and I was terrified. I thought I was going to go to jail. He said, son, if you ever take anything from this store again, I'll make sure you go to jail. It was a frightening experience for me at five years of age. But God was good, and it taught me something very important. But I'm telling you, from a very young age, I'd already sinned a lot. And it just continued because I really didn't give my heart to the Lord until I was 17 years old. That's 17 wasted years. Except that God is still teaching you, even when you're not following Him. Now, I'm saying all that to say this. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil, according to Jesus. And if you're a child of the devil and you don't accept the Lord as your Savior, you're going to go to a devil's hell. And Jesus is trying to explain this and even does through his parables. 
And so we can trust the Lord because He is our Father. Our Father is in heaven. That's where our prayers are to be directed. When you look in the Bible, you'll see three heavens mentioned. The first heaven is the atmosphere that surrounds our earth. The second heaven is the stars, the moon, the sun. I used to uh, just wonder how God, when he was creating things, could have had vegetation growing before there was a sun, moon, and stars. That wasn't until the fourth day. And the answer is, God is the light. There's a time coming, the Bible says, in the New Jerusalem where there is no sun shining, giving the light, but God is the light thereof. And we can thank the Lord that He has that attribute. That's where we want to direct our prayers towards the Lord. The third heaven surrounds the second heaven, so that if you're in Australia and you look up, it would seem like they're looking down for us because we're looking up the opposite direction. But the kingdom of God surrounds us. To be more specific, when you look in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 3, it says that the throne of God is in the north sides. I don't know exactly what that means. Except that there is a place in heaven where God's throne exists. And that's where we're to pray to the Lord. He is in heaven. And He has power over the things of this world. His name is to be hallowed. So you don't need to know all the names of God. You know how you find the names of God. Anytime the word God is mentioned, you take a concordance. And you look up God. And then it will give you a uh, either Hebrew or Greek word to look up. In the Strong's Concordance, that's what I use. I use the big print now. When you go to God, it will mention the name of God that's being mentioned with the name God in the Scripture. You'll find Elohim. That's the name of God. Let us create man in our image and likeness. Well, who in the world was with God? It says us. It's Elohim, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. When you begin to look at the names of God, it will blow your mind. And every one of those names is hallowed, precious in His sight. We don't need to know all the names of God, but you need to know God's provision is absolute. Any need that you have, He will be able to provide. Our first request should be that the kingdom come and that His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is where we surrender our will. How many of you believe that the only way this earth will ever get straightened out is when Jesus comes back to be the King? No other way. Presidents come and go. Leaders in the world come and go. But when Jesus comes, it says His kingdom will endure forever. It's already in heaven. And we're to pray that it comes to earth. That's part of our talking with God. There's a provision of prayer. This is when we begin to ask God. Until this point, you're not asking God for any of your provision. You're praising Him and thanking Him 
that his will might be performed on the earth. Give us this day our daily bread. He's referring to our physical needs. You know, you need bread. He knows that. You need food. He promises to take care of you. The Bible says people don't beg bread when they're children of God. You have mental needs. You have emotional needs. And you have spiritual needs. All this is, is in part that bread that we are to pray for on a daily basis. Give me the food I need to eat. Help my mind to think straight so that I can understand your word. That's why you want good mental ability. You want soundness of mind. All those things that we need in order to worship and serve the Lord. We can turn to the wrong source in order to get our needs met. The devil has a food bank. And if you pray or take food or take provision from another area other than the Lord, then you'll be in trouble. This is what happened to Jesus as he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. I can't imagine that. I mean, I'm weak after three days. I'm pretty weak even after a day of fasting. Can you imagine 40 days? I've done the Daniel fast, but that's just staying away from sweets and meats and things like that. You eat vegetables. You can just eat a lot more of them. And, and you're not in too bad a shape at all with Daniel's fast, a 21-day fast, but it's not a total fast. I believe the Lord Jesus, I believe in the Old Testament, Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. I don't know how they did that. But you can be sure of one thing. Jesus was weak after that. And the devil came to him and he said, why don't you just go ahead and turn these stones into bread since you're the Son of God. Every time Jesus is tempted, he uses the Word of God in defense. Man shall not live by bread alone, he says to Satan, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy chapter 8. He didn't give the reference, but I think Satan knew. He takes them and takes them up on a pinnacle and says, Well, if you're the Son of God, cast yourself down. Jesus said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Notice the Scripture. If Jesus used Scriptures to defeat Satan, maybe we should too when temptations come our way. But you have to know the Scripture in order to quote the Scripture. It has to be part of your thinking, part of your life. You just can't say things and they be Scripture. Well, the devil's going to get him now. After all, he's been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Takes him up to a high point and shows him all the kingdoms of this world. Bow down and worship me, Satan says, and they're all yours. Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Well, the Bible says in some of the synoptics, the first three books, that Satan left for a season. That means he came back sometimes. And he'll come back for you. And you need to be ready. 
And prayer equips you. Eve, uh, if she just stayed full of the right fruit, how would she have held any other? And that was the trouble. You can have all these things to eat, but she somehow was fooled by Satan into eating that which was forbidden. Whatever good we receive comes from the Lord, and it should remind us to ask for them and thank Him when we receive those things from God. Every good and perfect gift is from above and cometh down. James chapter 1, verse 6. Moses gave this warning to Israel, Beware, you don't forget the Lord your God, and who it is that gave you the power to get wealth. Because when we get wealthy, we tend to forget. When the refrigerator's full, we might not ask for daily bread. But when we're in need, when there's a desperate situation, and it should be all the time, because our situation is always desperate. We need the Lord every day of our life. God promised us to supply all of our needs. But my God shall supply all your needs, Philippians 4.19. We are to ask for needs and not necessarily our wants. I saw this ad the other day. It was a car that turned into an airplane. And I thought, how neat that would be to have that. You know, you're just going down the road, and this thing turned into something like a drone. It had four little propellers, and then in the back it had this bigger propeller that once you got up in the air, you could scoot along up to 90 miles an hour. These things are going to be available, I said to myself. I'd like to have one of those. I'm just... uh, young enough to still be foolish sometimes. The Lord reminded me when I was taking lessons to be a pilot, do you remember when Jerry, your instructor, took you up in the plane after he had reminded you the day before to study the list of things that you're supposed to do when the plane quits running? He got us up about 3,000 feet. We were still climbing when the plane quit running. And I looked at him and he said, don't look at me, find your checklist. I went through the list, through the list, down to 2,000 feet, down to 1,000 feet. Finally got to the place where it says, is the gas turned on? Jerry had turned off the gas. We were at 1,000 feet. He says, well, turn it back on. I did. He said, see if it'll start. It's got a little ignition thing just like a car. And then I turned it, and the propeller, it wouldn't start. And talk about being scared. I was. I was all white. He says, keep trying. It'll start. Down to 750 feet. He said, um, as his face turned white, give me the control. I did. He put down the flaps, because that's what you do when you're going to land, and he shoved in on the throttle. We were going to land in a lady's yard. She was hanging clothes at the time. You should have seen her face. When he shoved in on the throttle, which is what you do when you're going to land, the plane started. It was one of these. 
I couldn't wait to get back on the ground. You know, God reminds you of these kind of things when you're thinking dumb. I might want a car that turns into a plane, but do I need a car that turns into a plane? Ah. So you have to define those things that are really important for your needs. The more you have, the more it takes time to take care of it. The more insurance you need, the more you have to hope people don't break through and steal. That's why God says, when you're thinking about treasure, get the treasure up in heaven where moths rust and thieves can't break through and steal. Because everything on earth is passing. Our needs really, in many ways, are more spiritual than they are physical. Jesus never promised we'd be rich. He just said we won't be without. He'll take care of us. We need to always distinguish between needs and wants. I've been young and I've been old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Psalms 37:25. that's a good scripture to remember. God is going to take care of you. Day in and day out, don't worry. You've got a Lord that loves you and will take care of your every need. Our prayers should include others who have needs as well as us. You know, in this prayer, he uses the word us and our. It's because we're to be thinking about others as well as ourselves. In fact, we should be thinking about others, maybe even more than ourselves, but at least as much as we think about ourselves. Our prayers need to include others. Prayer that never gets beyond me and my needs can't be blessed by the Lord. Psalms verifies this. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the needs of others. And when you start thinking about others, it's surprising how God will take care of you. Because He knows He can use you like a, a, a fountain that's flowing, like an artesian well that's coming forth, the more He gives you, the more you're going to help others around you. And you don't think of things belonging to you, but belonging to the Lord to be a blessing to others. And you'll be surprised how the Lord will bless you when you have that attitude. Daily dependence, asking for daily bread. Israel in the wilderness only enough for one day at a time. The manna came in the morning. I don't know exactly what it was like because I don't know what a coriander seed is. And I don't know what it would be like when it would come in the morning with the dew and then sometime around mid-morning when the sun came up, that stuff would disappear. It would just evaporate. Well, you know, you had to get up in the morning. If you wanted to get food for the day, you couldn't lay around in bed. You had to get up, you had to gather it. You gathered enough for each person during that day. If you tried to gather more than you really needed, it would rot and stink. There was only one day a week you could gather more, and that was the sixth day. Because on the seventh day, which was the Sabbath, the manna didn't come. How did God do that? But He did. 
Now, we would probably go out and gather a whole lot thinking that we could maybe market it if people didn't get up early enough. We could sell them some of ours. Nope, that won't work. This is just the way God built a daily need for him. That sixth day, you could gather twice as much and it would last all through the seventh. Isn't that amazing? And here's one more amazing fact. They gathered manna. They put it in a gold pot. The Bible says, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4. And that manna was placed in the testimony, the ark of the covenant, and stayed there along with Moses' rod that budded in the Ten Commandments. That manna was preserved miraculously by the Lord. God will take care of us. The pardon of prayer. We have to be willing to forgive our debts. God will forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive. Forgive others. Why? I don't forget what other people do to me that's mean or bad. I just get even. No, no. That's not scriptural. We need to be those who forget. That means to hurl away, casting or throwing away, to counsel, cancel debt, to give up resentment and the desire to punish. That's what the Bible says. And it's not that easy to do. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lord is good. When He forgives our sins, He lets them go. The Bible says He separates them as far as east is from the west. He casts them away and He remembers them no more. Isn't that great? That's an attitude of heart that we need to have towards others that have hurt us. If you're a human being, you have been hurt by someone. That's just the way it is. And you need to forgive that person. We must be willing to forgive others. If we can't forgive others, there's going to be a real problem. When you can't forgive others, it's like burning a bridge that later you have to cross. The longest, highest bridge that I know is an arc bridge. It's in West Virginia on Route 19. I was able to look down over that bridge to the cavern-like structure below. It's actually rapids running right underneath you. To see it good, you need binoculars. If anything happens to that bridge on Route 19 and you want to come to Florida, you're not going to make it that way. Don't burn the bridge. But forgive people. Because your heavenly Father makes it clear, Matthew 18, 21 through 35. He tells the parable of a man who owed, let's say, a million dollars to the king, and the king decides he wants to collect, because that's a lot of money. He brings them in, and he says, I want you to pay me, or I'm going to put you and your family and everybody else that you know and is part of you in jail with you. The man pleads, please, Lord, I'll pay everything that I owe you. He tells the king, have mercy on me. And the king pities him and forgives all of his debt. 
You know what that would feel like? Dennis, my future son-in-law, had a huge debt forgiven that his father owed. And he's paying on this mortgage debt taxes of some sort. He called just the other day to Pittsburgh to get the exact amount he owed, and the man said, was your father a veteran? And Dennis said, yes. And he said, wait a minute. And he said this, all your father's past debt is forgiven just because he was a veteran. Dennis just thrilled. I mean, he's just thanking anybody that will listen to him. He gets on Facebook and he thanks everybody that God has so blessed him. Imagine that gratitude of heart. And as this man was forgiven his million-dollar debt, he goes out and he finds a guy that owes him a hundred. And he says, pay me now. And the man says, oh, please, just give me more time. I'll pay you every penny. Give me more time. I can do it. Have pity on me. Have mercy. And the man said, nope. You, your family, and everybody else are going to jail. And they did. Then the king found out the one who had forgiven him the million-dollar debt. And he grabbed this person that refused to forgive the small debt after he'd been forgiven so much and put him in jail and said, you're going to stay there until you pay every last penny. And here's the Scripture so that Jesus makes it clear. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if from your heart's You forgive not everyone, his brother, their trespasses. That means if you don't forgive people, you're not getting forgiven. So how important is it? I mean, I've I've gone over this and I've gone to people that I have I think I've wronged even in the past, and I've said, Will you will you forgive me? And you know what they usually say to me? I'll forgive you. If you'll forgive me. And you know, the, the bridge is restored. The friendship is restored. The fellowship is there like never before. Those who extend mercy to others will themselves receive mercy from God, according to James chapter 2, verse 13. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Thank the Lord. We can talk with Him, and He can change the way we think and the way that we live. The protection of prayer. The last point. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why would we need to ask God not to lead us into temptation? I mean, something's going on here. Until you figure it out, this is not a request for divine. This is a request for divine protection in the midst of a fallen world. We're bombarded with evil from the time we get up till the time we go to bed, and even while we're sleeping. 
Sometimes I don't even listen to the news. It's usually not good. I say, what did the president do today? Who's going to war with us now? Did they get the nuclear bombs out of North Korea? You know, it's a depressing thing. And we need to become those people who won't let the events around us destroy our relationship with the Lord. We trust in Him and we love Him. The Bible says we're to pray for two things. Give us power over temptation and deliver us from the evil one. Power over temptation. We have this promise from the Lord that He'll never put us in a place where we need to fail. Or with that temptation, He says, I'll provide a way of escape. We can be sure that He will be a provider. Satan deceives us like he did Eve by tempting her with the fruit. You know, the sin didn't come through Eve. It came through Adam, who knew full well that he should not eat that fruit, but did it anyway. I I can't figure it out. What was Adam thinking? He had 12 more ribs. God was going to take care of him. Eve was deceived. That, that probably could have been looked over. But he followed that pathway to sin that has affected us all since then. Deception and direct assault. God will do this. He'll allow it to happen, I mean. And the devil will take advantage of that. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But our God is faithful, and you can count on him to respond when we are tempted. Evil attacks by Satan are controlled by God. He will never allow you to be taken under. If you turn to the Lord, you're going to get the help you need. And if you don't, you'll fail. And we need to be those people whose minds are on track with the Lord. Now, one of the ways that we need to stay on track is not to let our minds be corrupted in the first place. I mentioned staying away from um, news reports and so on. I mean, watch the news. That's okay, I guess. But there are certain things on TV you shouldn't watch. Why would you? Job chapter 31, verse 1 says, Job made a covenant with his eyes not to look on a maid. When we were young, my wife and I had a car with a bench seat. Not bucket seats, but a bench seat. Those were really cool because she could scoot way over. I could put my arm around her even while I was driving with the other hand. It's really nice. But one time going through Apollo, there was this attractive young lady who was walking the street. And I was going like this. And what she did was go like, what are you looking at? We need to be careful where we allow our eyes to go. We need to stay away from programming that will corrupt our thinking. Stay away from pornography and all those things that are evil and wrong. And if you start thinking in your mind, even in your subconscious, 
This is your dream life. That you would do something evil if you got the chance. You can be absolutely sure you will get the chance. But if you're firm, if you believe the Lord, if you want your mind pure, even in a dream, you know how it is when you're falling, you always wake up before you hit the bottom? When you want to do what's right, you'll wake up before you sin. Or you'll just take the high road and not be bothered by that which is evil. You know, it's gracious of God to allow these things to happen in our subconscious and not happen in reality. But God says this through His Son, If you think in your heart to do that which is evil, it is as though you have done it already. So we want our minds, every thought brought captive to the Lord Jesus Christ. God will limit the, tension, the, the temptation. He'll provide an escape route so that you do not have to be corrupted in the trial. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, Isaiah 43, 25. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation, according to 2 Peter 2, 9. He delivered Esther and the Jews from being destroyed in Persia. You know what was going to happen, don't you? This evil Mordecai was like a Hitler. He was going to have all the Jews in Persia. They were in captivity then, so they were under King Ahasuerus. And he had plotted and planted, planned the demise of all the Jews. They were going to be killed. If Esther didn't intervene, she called upon her maidens to fast with her for three days. She goes uh, to Mordecai and he, he, she says, get all the people to fast. Haman, that evil man, he's going to destroy us unless you go to the king and ask him. You might think that's a simple thing, but if the king didn't request to see you and you went there and he didn't hold out his staff, you were hauled away to be killed. And she knew that she would need the prayers of others. And so she prayed, and Esther saved her nation. They celebrate that feast today. It's called the Feast of Purim, when God delivered the Jews. Daniel from the lion's dead. Don't pray, Daniel. They found a way. They thought they could catch him and cause his demise because he was so popular with the king. He never did anything except promote the king and help the king in any way he could. He was a godly man. He didn't sin. There was no corruption in his life except that he prayed every day. He would throw open the windows towards Jerusalem and pray. And so they got to find that out and set it up so that by going to the king and asking that uh, let there be 30 days with no one praying to anyone but you, king, and to your God. The king foolishly signed that, but David or Daniel never stopped praying. And he was caught and thrown into the lion's den, but the Lord preserved him. I think it would be so cool to play with a lion a little bit, you know, grab its mane and open up its mouth and look inside there. And He could have done anything he wanted with those lions. Peter was in prison. He'd been preaching the Word. 
Herod had already killed James, so he knew the Jews liked that. He was going to kill Peter the next day, chained up between two guards so he couldn't get out. Other guards there, too, to guard him. When the angel of the Lord came, people were praying at a prayer meeting for his deliverance. The chains fell off. The angel grabbed Peter up. The gates opened just like magic, and they walked right out of that whole chamber. And there he was free, going to the house where the people were praying for him. And they couldn't believe it was Peter. It must be his ghost. How about believing that the Lord can answer your prayers? Stephen's another example of the great deliverance of the Lord. If you remember Stephen's situation, he was preaching the Word of God and he confounded the Pharisees so much that they couldn't answer him anymore. They decided that they would get rid of him. They would stone him. So they took him outside of the camp and began to stone him. Saul, who would later become Paul, was holding the clothes of those who threw the stones. When he heard Stephen pray, I see heaven opening and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Normally he sits, you know, but he's standing now. I just want you to know that God even delivers us when we die. We don't go down. We go up. You close your eyes on earth. You open your eyes in heaven. That's the promise of the Lord. And we believe it's true. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory. Just like they were singing today. Notice at the beginning of the prayer, there's great praise to the Lord. Hallowed be Thy name. But this praise is different. It's that powerful praise because you know God is going to answer your prayer. You know you have the petitions that you've asked. And so you're praising Him like never before. Your kingdom, God. Your power. And Your glory. Forever. Amen. That's the way a prayer warrior prays victory. It's through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the end of the Lord's Prayer. Can we give Him praise for His goodness and His love?